a fan of VidGoal on Facebook. Go to facebook.com forward slash VidGoal. Before we start, we want to make note that this program does not express the views and opinions of VidGoal, its parent company, Genthany Enterprises, Inc., and its employees, affiliates, licensors, and agents. So, if you have a problem, don't blame it on me! Now, in high definition, you are watching VidGoal. This is the con-goer, out and about. I'm with uh, Edward X. Young. Oh, my movie, is, movie showing here is Mold. With Mold. Mold with an exclamation point. Ah, with an exclamation point. I was, I was one of the stars of Sea of Dust. I'm very proud of that movie. That was my first movie. Yes, you were saying, it, I, starting way, way back, your, your saga, which is fascinating... My saga is, when I was a kid, I, I subscribed to all the Warren magazines, especially Famous Monsters of Filmland, and I wanted to be, I wanted to be Vincent Price. I wanted to be a monster movie actor, and, and you know, my, 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 par my family didn't want me to do it, my parents didn't want me to do it. I, I get to college, I'm taking acting courses, filmmaking courses. The professors there are trying to say, oh, you should aim for serious stuff. That's so D-class A monster movies. You should go for the real deal, like soap operas and Broadway plays and sitcoms on TV. It became a grind. I, I kind of lost my passion. Then I got married too young. I ended up in the corporate world, making a lot of money for many years. But then at the age of 45, I went up divorced, ruined. I mean, I'm stuck up in New Hampshire. I was working for a newspaper as a journalist, very happy, but the newspaper went belly up, so I ended up at a ball bearing factory. But a friend of mine, an actor who I knew in college, finds me through the internet. His name is Bill Timoney. He's been on soap operas, all my children, done a few horror films too. And he urges me to, you know, get back into it. He goes, Man, when you got nothing, you got nothing to lose, you're free. So he tells me, calls me up and tells me that he, there's an audition, auditions going on for a movie called Sea of Dust in New York City. It's a Hammer film tribute. And I said, look, one audition. I'll go there. I get the movie. And if they don't want me, uh, I'm going to go back to New Hampshire and forget about this for the rest of my life. I went to audition for a small part. I get offered one of the leads. I tell the director, you're making a mistake. He said, no, no, this is a Hammer film tribute. You're the only actor in the past three days that's come in here even who even remotely reminds me of Christopher Lee. So I'm in Sea of Dust. And Damn. Yeah, that was great. But I meant Sea of Dust, and I casually mentioned to the director, if it's a Hammer film tribute, you know, I don't know why you didn't, like, get Ingrid Pitt out of England to be in this movie. And he says, his name is Scott Bunn. He goes, that's a good idea. And so they contact Ingrid Pitt, and she reads the script and says, I'll come out of retirement and do it. And so I work with Ingrid Pitt, and I'm her last victim on screen. I mean, she kills me in the most grisly, grisly murder she's ever committed. Uh, after that, I start getting offers. One from the cameraman says, I know a director doing something else. I don't even have an agent. I've, I've had a ball rolling since 2005. I've acted in 37 movies. And worked in a ball bearing factory, so there's several. That's a, a, a real horror. I sold insurance once. That's scarier than any horror movie you can imagine. But here tonight at the Macabre Film Festival, I have my movie Mold with an exclamation point, directed by Neil Machino uh, uh, of Mentally Ill Films. And of all the movies I've done, it's a it's a retro science fiction horror comedy political satire. I I'm, I play one of the lead actors. I'm the Colonel, 
And uh, it's it's the messiest, goriest movie I've done. I mean, I think we used over 25 gallons of fake blood in this picture. And then we recycled a lot of it, too. And not to mention the mold. <laughs> not to mention the mold. mold. One of the great things about mold, if you see it, the director was, uh, he wanted it to be a retro 80s style film. There was no CGI. It's all practical effects down to the gun battles. And I mean, we have gun battles with machine guns. Real blanks, real squibs. And extremely dangerous, but very authentic. In addition to all the gore effects. So the people who are smoking, they're actually smoking cigarettes as opposed to some guy putting CGI on a fake cigarette, which just looks so stupid every time I see it on sci-fi or any yes. of the networks. Like, really? You couldn't light a cigarette for a scene? Really? Seriously? Yeah, it's funny you should mention that because I, I was a chain smoker and I quit smoking for 14 years. And I'm really sorry to bring that. No, no, no. But in mold, in the script, uh, two things. I hadn't shaved for about 20 years and I play an army colonel. And I, and, I, and I tell the director, I feel a little bit uncomfortable at shaving my beard. I, I auditioned for the mad scientist, but he goes, no, you're perfect for the colonel. And I said, well, you know, I feel uncomfortable at shaving my beard. He goes, oh, you can keep the beard. I said, no, I can't keep the beard. Because then they'd laugh at your movie. Because nobody in the army could have a beard. I'll shave. So I shave. Nobody at Walt Disney World can have a beard either. Really? If people work there, it's uh, one of the rules. Which is funny, because so many of their male leads in movies, it plenty of facial hair. But, no, if you work there, you can't even just like the military. I never wanted to work for those fascists anyhow. <laughs> Actually, I was in a Disney movie. <coughs> I was in the game plan with The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Cool guy. Totally cool guy. I'm only on screen for about 20 seconds, but I'm in the movie. Close-up. I've got a close-up with The Rock. There was the, he In every scene, the colonel is smoking a cigar. and He, he was going to let me keep my beard. I said, no, no, you'll laugh at you. I said, but, yeah, can we drop the cigar thing? And he was like... Uh, I won't mention a name, but he actually turned down a famous Hollywood actor for my role. I was honored. He said, I could have got a name actor, but you're really good. I said, I don't want to smoke. He said, uh, you know, if you don't smoke, I'm going to drop you. I'm going to get the other guy. Because I guess it, I think it's essential to the role. So I had to smoke every day on the set for a month. Sometimes one day I smoked 20 cigars in one day when we had a lot of takes. But for art's sake, it was worth it. It was really worth it. <laughs> you can look for me later this year in the movie uh, uh, Mr. Hush. Where I, where I play the titular role. You know, Beavis and Butthead would laugh at that. It's my first titular role, eponymous part, the title character. I am Mr. Hush. Titular and eponymous. And I act with Stephen Jeffries from Fright Night in that picture. Uh, and the same guys who made it made another movie called uh, Emerging Past, which is kind of like an omen exorcist film. I play a priest in that, an exorcist. But I got good stuff coming out. But I want people here to enjoy Mold, because Mold, mold is a... Is a uh, Mold is a roller coaster ride. I'm really proud of this picture. It just doesn't stop moving. Well, they're wrapping up stuff here, but uh, I managed to run into Ricardo Islas, who has made a movie called Frankenstein, Day of the Beast. And I have to say, I was really, really impressed with it. The mood, the pacing, the lighting. I mean, what, uh, I guess, starting with what initially inspired you to make that film? I think I probably always wanted to make this film or a film about Frankenstein since I was, you know, a little kid. I grew up watching Hammer movies, not so much the Universal. This, is, this movie, Frankenstein, Day of the Beast, is definitely an, an homage to all the Hammer movies from the look to the art to everything else. So that's why I wanted to make a classic and I wanted to make a classic that looked like the Hammer movies. Was there any... Um 
idea you had when looking for the cast because I thought the leads for uh, um, for everyone were really exceptionally played. Um, yes, I had some ideas uh, also, once again, based on all those old movies that I, I was mentioning before. I knew that I wanted actors that you could believe were from the time period somehow. Also, I wanted to get from them that kind of acting that we don't see anymore. Some people might be thrown uh, away by that. They might not like it. They think it's not realistic. Actually, it's on purpose. We wanted to be an homage to the old movies. And you know, it was a different acting style. Uh, another movie that, that quite recently, not that recently, has done that is Sleepy Hollow, where all the actors are actors that we're used to seeing every day in, in modern movies, but they act like, you know, like kind of uh, like in the old times. So that's what we were going after. So yeah, of course, that had a lot to do with the choices that we made for casting. Um, um, problems during the uh, production? Any uh, issues? It was a very difficult production. You have to consider that this is a low-budget period piece. That's crazy already. That is a problem from the get-go. Uh, but just to mention one of the problems, uh, because of shooting, as, as you could see in the movie, there are many scenes that take place in the snow. Others take place in the rain. Those are not special effects. That's real snow and real rain and so our camera got permanently damaged which for the Hollywood movie that, that shouldn't be an issue for us it was deadly so I had to do all the exterior shots with the different camera that I could get so there are some differences between interiors and exteriors that you can play to it to some extent and, and you know try to use that as an advantage so that there's a difference in look but of course I would have preferred if my camera didn't get damaged now, what were the highlights, perhaps things on set or that the actors did or that you found that you didn't initially plan but it was just very inspirational and you went with? Probably if, if part of my team was here, John B. T. Reedy, who was the one who built most of the sets, would probably agree with me that one of the highlights is the tunnels. All the scenes in the tunnels were actually shot in a tunnel that was probably as long as from here to where the camera is, maybe a little more, and there's a Y in the end. So that's all the tunnels. What we did is change the lights all the time and put the camera in different positions so that you believe you're going through a uh, like, like a maze of tunnels. It was just a few feet and a Y. So that's probably one of the highlights. It was all lighting and all uh, tricks and cameras and how to put it. And everybody, especially the actors, we spent three days just, just you know, walking on our, on our, on our fourth on, on those tunnels, all full of dust and blood and everything else. But the actors could not believe it when they saw the final product. That that, that was the tunnels where we shot at. Hello, I'm with Tom Dombrowski, a sculptor, who's done. Um, I, I'm obviously a big fan of Halloween and horror movies, and I always wanted a, a haunted house to decorate the inside of the house with, like a centerpiece to put on a table, or whatever. And uh, so I did it one year. Halloween came and went, and I put it up on sale on eBay. Somebody bought it right away, and I thought, well, what a cool idea. Maybe this is something I can do to help make extra money. So I just never turned back. I just kept doing it ever since. What do you actually use to uh, make all this stuff? Uh, what, the material? Yes. Uh, different types of woods, metals, plastics, paints, glues. Really, I mean, it's such a wide variety of material I use. I, I probably couldn't even come up with a list of, of everything. Is there any project that uh, 
you perhaps accidentally became obsessed with or that as you were working on, they was like, wait, I could do this too. And then, oh, wait, wait, that would be even more awesome. It, it, that happens on all of them, really. It's really become more of an obsession because I work on these things constantly. You know, I, I put, probably put at least 10 hours a day in working on these projects, seven days a week. I very rarely take a day off. But you really have to because there's so much work and detail in making these. You have to spend a tremendous amount of time you know, to accomplish something, especially like something like this scale. They, it could take months to make some of these projects sometimes. Do any of these have a particular story to them, like the characters, the setup? Is As you're building them, is it any like, oh, okay, it's like I can see what, what's going through this character's mind or what might happen to this house? Yeah, um, sometimes I like to write short stories too. And like that house right there is part of a short story called uh, The Bamboo Lodge. Yep. Uh, it's about these guys they like worship a, a bamboo uh, uh, what do you call it uh, not a bamboo yeah a, ba- a baboon that's it a baboon uh, god that they worship and they're kind of like a, like a secret cult like the Odd Fellows or uh, the Freemasons and they just go out and creating havoc throughout their neighborhood just to help benefit themselves Uh, what macabre fair would be complete without creepy dolls everywhere? There's a whole aisle that seems devoted to these things that they're like clowns. They should be they should be happy for kids, but clowns and creepy dolls are just very interesting. They're creepy dolls. I, I especially like the one with the light bulb in its head. It almost has an idea. Um, what can you? Uh, oh, nice glasses too. Uh, what can you tell me about this uh, whole uh, menagerie of uh, the um, dollific? That's a new word I made up. <laughs> well, um, I have an Etsy shop, Mistress Ray's Decadent Designs. Um, I've been open for about four years online, and basically I'm just inspired by everything macabre, creepy. <laughs> it's just been something that's been part of me all my life, and... I love doing it. <laughs> Do any of these uh, dolls have a particular story to them or um, inspiration you hit that's like... It's funny you ask that because this little boy right here, he has a story. His name is Bobby D. The Oddity. He's my first little steampunk-inspired one. He is a bit of a genius, but his light bulb went out, so now he's a little on a nutty side. He just wants to fly, so... He's trying to find a way to make his wings and fly. These little guys, even though they were both created months apart, I feel like they should be together for some strange reason. They seem close. They they almost seem like they were meant for each other. That's kind of freaky. I put them side by side and I was like, you know what? They look like a couple. (laughs) It's like they all have their personalities. Once I finish creating them, yeah, they each have their own personality. I especially like that the uh, redhead has a conscience in the form of a Jiminy cockroach or something. That's a friend. Maybe, maybe not. I think he's probably just a scavenger on his head. I don't know. <laughs> so how did you get started in the uh, um, baby Hulk business? another one with black eyes and she was really like I'm not sure if they have the same daddy that's going around screwing human women but 
Yeah, there's some aliens hanging around. We should keep an eye out for big, tall, green guys with huge eyes. Our government supposedly is trying to uh, push some laws that it's like uh, if you do have alien babies, it's, uh, they'll be uh, U.S. citizens. But who knows what's going on with that. So immigration is just crazy. These ladies just keep dumping their babies off of my orphanage. So I try to find them home. I don't know. What about the other babies? Like this poor baby who seems like uh, he uh, got a little boo-boo on his neck. And this one is uh, very sad. Sorry. Sorry, I found her in um, a dumpster. I swear she was dead before I found her. Yeah. She looks a lot better now. Yeah, she was happy. <laughs> um, that's Mac and her It has been a delight to speak to you. Thank you. Oh my God, it's a hat for my microphone. Is that, no, really, is that microphone not totally convenient? It's a simple phone. Because well, it's, it's probably doing weird audio things, but uh, they like, We gotta get a good shot of like the simple phone. That visual logo there, yo. How did you get started uh, with hats? There's, they're all lots of hats. I can blame, I can blame it on Alice in Wonderland. Um, I'm obsessed with Mad Hatter. Um, my dad got me a hat, and after that, I wanted to make hats. Because I started decorating it, and then I, I became my Mrs. Mad Hatter. My name is Venus Payne, and I love making hats. So, do any of these hats have a particular story or inspiration that you'd like to share? Yeah. Um, well, these are my Little Pony collection. Um, I love Little Pony, and I figured I'd make them in hats. I've, I've never seen any of my Little Pony hats. Um, this is like for you animal print lovers. I got also steampunk, because I know steampunk is like really in right now. I got the headband, steampunk hats. I got a few of them around. And the Victorian, I figured, since it was the 1920s theme, I got the Victorian hats. Um, these are my first, yeah, I figured, you know. But I, I think I have, I think I got a few orders already for like 10 hats that are black. So I got to make more black hats. Um, what is it with black hats? Well, it's color. You can wear any outfit. You can, you know, you don't have to, if you get one hat that's a pink, you can't wear it with, like, red or green, you know. But black, you can wear it with everything. It very well be that black is now the new black. It finally came, it finally came around. <laughs> yes, um, and also, I, this is my first time I ever made the flapper headband. Yeah, these are the first time I made it such They're actually really fun. And um, I made, these are my first male hats, because guys always ask me, oh, make me a hat, make me a hat. So I figured, you know. Okay, try the one with the uh, phone. Uh, I just took that one out today. I didn't have it out all day. Oh, yeah. 
Well, I'm with Eileen Dietz, which I think most of you out there know. And I don't even know where to begin. It's, uh, you've already shown me the, uh, the cross from the actual scene from The Exorcist, from the, uh, the masturbation scene. And really, it's what it is. And start with us. It's an excellent day for an exorcism. But it seemed like you led into a good beginning with that. What's a, what memories or what, what was your favorite part about this whole like experience at The Exorcist to start with that movie? Getting cast. No. I mean, actually, as an actress, uh, the best moments of your life is when they call you up and they say they want you because life is perfect. You know what I mean? Life is absolutely perfect, and you don't, you don't have any kind of issues or things or something like that. But the whole shooting of The Exorcist was just a joy. I was very young, and um, I have to say, at the same time, nobody knew The Exorcist was going to be The Exorcist, the scariest movie of all time. We just knew we were making a horror film. But I got to work with Max Van Sydow, who I knew, because I knew of, because my family took me to foreign films when I was growing up. So I thought the whole thing was just fun. I mean, I always think acting is fun anyway. You get to make believe, and people tell you where to go, what to wear, what to say, and your responsibility is only to learn the lines and create a character. Fun. Well, we did have a priest come down and bless the set every day. Uh, and I, I mean, I do got to tell you right now, um, I have a book that's coming out in September, and it's called Exercising My Demon. An Actress's Journey to the Exorcist and Beyond. And my book, the, what's going to be different about it is, number one, it's about dreams and choices and how a little flat-chested, buck-toothed little girl from Queens got found herself in the scariest movie of all time. So any of you guys that have act, want to be actors out there or have dreams of being creative or just have dreams, you should come buy my book. In the middle of it is all the funny things that happened on the set of The Exorcist as opposed to to the scary things that everybody's always heard about. So that's called Exercising My Demon, and you can find out more about it on my website, which is really simple. It's EileenDietz.com. Ah, the name. That is that is really easy to find. We'll have that. Oh, look, post. Just put it there. It's like, it's amazing. It's like they just put things everywhere. They try to get me sometimes. They'll put, like, things around all the dodge them fans know that i didn't start stop working with the exorcist which we actually shot in 73 two we shot in 72 came out in 73 and i just worked on rob zombies halloween 2 which is rob zombies great and um i just do a whole bunch of i've been working for 40 years and i'm very very grateful well i was going to ask because it's a because the exorcist was such a big movie has has it eclipsed other work that you're especially proud of in other movies? Not really. I did General Hospital for two years, and I loved uh, I was a mental patient on General Hospital during the Luke and Laura years. That's for older people who are watching this show. Um, and I loved doing General Hospital. She was in a mental hospital, and she decided she was never going to grow up because her friend drowned in an a accident, and she didn't want to be responsible. So every show I've done... Um, it just eclipses the last one to answer your question. Um, the Exorcist, of course, is 
led me such a great life. I've gone to London four times, and Germany, and Spain, and New York here to the, this show at the uh, Macabre Fair. Hello, come to the Macabre Fair. Um, so, it, I mean, it's all been a joy. We, every, all, every one of us, you know, the, I sound like Pollyanna, but what's wrong with sounding like Pollyanna? I never figured that out. Pollyanna just liked everything. Um, we are so blessed to be able to do what we do. To be able to travel and come to shows like this and, you know, get $20 for my signature. I mean, it's it's just crazy. It's just crazy. And, you know, uh, everybody I know back in Hollywood is like, where did you? I just came back from Scotland. Um, where did you? What? What are you doing now? What are you doing now? And, of course, most of all, I like to act still. And I'll be acting, you know, with one foot in the grave. I'm still going to be acting. But it's just a joy to be able to do what I do. Uh, we're here with Liz and Denise to see how custom fangs are made. Behold, or show Jack makes custom fangs. And anyway, this is Liz. Now, you've done this before. Yes. I guess, is it like going to the dentist or what's, because uh, a lot of people are afraid of the dentist. It's similar to going to the dentist, and you're just basically biting into the bite plate, and they make the mold out of your impression. This mold. So it's just you bite down on it, you feel the gushy stuff go up under your gums, and you're, it's in for two minutes. They take it out, and then they make the stone mold from there. So no drills or x-rays or any of that stuff? Not at all. So. And then you're done. And this is a... Uh, uh, Denise is uh, stirring the alginate, which has to be done quickly and efficiently. Otherwise, it hardens into a uh, something that can't be used for molds anymore. So, uh, and you've done this before. Several, 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 many, numerous times. Yes. It's a. I'm actually uh, amazed you're using a stick for that because it's. Uh, it, it, does that actually? It, it obviously, it actually um, goes fast enough, huh? Sure. As long as you have the alginate with the water, and I mean, you can use anything to mix it, but. Well, the impression only takes a couple of minutes, um, and then we have to pour the mold depending on the quantity, the temperature. Time setting for the mold varies anywhere from like could be as soon as 20 minutes, could be up to an hour. Um, time frame for actual making the fangs could be anywhere from 45 minutes, unless of course we get busy, one to two weeks shipment. I don't know. All right, because it's like uh, it was ridiculously humid this weekend, so uh, mold times were. Uh, I suspect a little longer. The temperature didn't really phase it. It was the inside temperature because it's quite cold in here. So actually, the warmer it is, the quicker the set. The colder it is, the longer the set. But humidity, does that affect it? It can. It can, yeah. And... Now I'm with Bart and Alan Rowe of a story most of you should be familiar with if you ever went to high school, but knowing America, who knows what's going on at this point with the educational system. But it's Poe, look it up. 
But uh, can you tell me a little bit uh, about uh, what this particular post story is and why you did it the way you did it? Sure. Uh, the story that I did is... Can I take this? Sure, sure. The story that I did is uh, based on Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart. And I put a bit of a spin onto it. I did a 1950s, uh, almost silent movie era spin into it. And I wrote, directed, and produced it. And producing also with me is Alan Rokelli, another fil- great filmmaker who just completed his anthology, Gallery of Fear, along with another filmmaker, Anthony Sumner. And I, I'm doing an anthology of my own called Tales of Poe. And I wanted to do probably what is best known as Edgar Allan Poe's greatest short story, which is The Telltale Heart, but I didn't want to do it in the regular fashion that everybody else seems to do it, almost a Roger Corman-esque thing, and I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do a style that I felt I was much more comfortable with. So I went and I created an insane asylum for a story, and then it dives into this backstory of an aging silent film star played by Alan Roe Kelly as the actress Peggy Lamar. And our narrator is played by a female... Debbie Roshan, uh, horror screen queen, and rather than the usual male gender-oriented story that a tale would have, I based it more on a, a female uh, casting. Were there any other uh, ideas that you think really were unique to the film that uh, you were going for? Anything of pacing or perhaps things that, I don't know, maybe you would do differently after seeing the film and thinking about it? Um, doing the, looking back at the film now, I'm very happy with how everything turned out. Um, Alan is also my editor for the film, and I could let him speak on the editing and the pacing. But we sat together and really wanted to make sure that it was um, a slow build till everything accumulated, just like post story. I, I very much am very true to the story, and I wanted to pretty much withhold the plot. But I needed to craft visuals that I don't think we've ever seen before in a post story. Uh, the atmosphere had to set a tone of neuroticism, it had to set a tone of uh, betrayal, it also had to set a tone of guilt and this sense of insanity. Uh, I actually sort of, sort of stood away a lot from horror films and I really went for Tennessee Williams in Streetcar Named Desire and Glass Menagerie also and that was a lot of input in there too. So what, what's great about his stories is they're, they're, they're so open to interpretation and I think actually when we started to film it, it was sort of a, almost sort of a Sunset Boulevard slash telltale heart type of effect so basically when he gave me the role of Peggy Lamar which actually was very monologue driven originally we had a ton of monologues and dialogue to go through and we had acted most of them out and there were many many other scenes that we had actually put together throughout the whole film but then when it came down to editing we had realized and Bart had realized too through his writing and all that we had to really stick with the one character which was Debbie Rashawn's character as the narrator as the troubled nurse in the in the um in the you know in the storyline so the other characters the rest of us in the supporting roles really had to be more of just sort of like um you know we're just sort of anchors for her in different areas so a lot of our dialogue ended up being cut in editing because we just thought we're we're you know we're losing the pace we're we're getting um we're getting away from debbie's you know character's direction in the film we have to stick strictly with her and um i just loved it bart was such a wonderful director i had a great time because i got to spend four days in bed so that's, that was like a real acting feat for me, just lying in bed for four days. <laughs> well, we'll talk about Tales of Poe, and then we'll go right into Gallery of Fear since we're on Tales of Poe. Uh, Tales of Poe is um, an anthology based on Edgar Allan Poe's uh, short stories and poem. We have three in this one, so we call it a Tales of Poe Volume 1. And a Volume 2 would be another group of filmmakers coming in and wanting to do their take on different stories. But we have tell, uh, The Telltale Heart, 
And we have The Cask of Amontillado, which Alan wrote and directed, and it stars Alan and Randy Jones and Brewster McCall and Zoe Dalman-Klonda, uh, and another great cast of independent upcoming actors and genre veterans. And that's now in the ed editing process, and I was the cinematographer for that one. And then the final piece is Dreams, based on Edgar Allan Poe's poem, Dreams. And that's written by um, a great uh, screenwriter, Michael Verratti. And I had him adapt the poem into a story based on ideas that I was giving him. So we worked together in the writing process, but it's totally what he had come up with. And that one is going to bring the whole film full circle because we've casted Caroline Williams from Texas Chainsaw 2, Amy Steele from Friday the 13th Part 2, and Adrian King from Friday the 13th Part 1. We have Broadway star sensation Colin Cunliffe, uh, Brewster McCall coming in, and we have a beautiful young lady uh, coming in um, who was on a film that I shot with Alan called Razor Days by director Mike Watts, Bette Cassette, and uh, she's an incredible young actress playing our dreamer. But The Dreams is a silent film, and it's just narrated by Amy Steele with these dreamlike images uh, and very old school filmmaking style. No CGI effects, no green screen. It's all old school, everything done in camera, um, almost like Guy Madden does with his films. Uh, so that's Tales of Poe, which it, in its entirety will be done by the fall of 2013 right now. We do have a Facebook, Tales of Poe, or you can check my Facebook out and just go right to it. It'll update you and you'll see all the photos and everything up there. And um, that's, you know, we're coming off the success of Now Gallery of Fear making its run. So, you know, I'm going to let Alan now start discussing what his big project was. So ask the question, please. Well, it's Gallery of Fear, please. Cool. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, Gall Gallery of Fear is uh, it's my third feature, and um, which I worked extensively with Bard on as well, too. We've been working together, collaborating together for years. And Gallery of Fear is more of a, it's a throwback to the old sort of 1960s amicus hammer horror anthology. Sort of has a night gallery type of feel about it. And um, it's three stories with a wraparound. It's very gothic. Um, we have three completely different stories. And we were able to bring in a great genre cast with Debbie Rochon in our wraparound story. And Jerry Murdoch, Zoe Delman-Klonda, Rain Brown, Mike Lane, um, Benzie, Catherine O'Sullivan. Uh, Terry M. West, many, many people that have been in horror movies for many years. And um, we've been having a great success with it. This is our, I think, for Gallery, this is our 13th festival this year. And we finally picked up distribution, so we'll probably be available in mid-September. And um, we're going through the Bosco group. So it, it's been getting really great write-ups. And we're, we've been very, very fortunate. It's, it's a very lush film. It took us four years to put together because, you know, we, we treated each piece like a mini-movie, and then, of course, we had other projects in between, so we were able to just kind of relax and really take our time with it. And then, of course, we had the whole thing tied together with unbelievable music and sound design by Tom Burns, who's been working on our films for years, and, and, and he's doing Tales of Poe also, and he is sort of like the icing on the cake for our films because everybody always noticed what great sound you have, you know, because I find a lot of times within independent films, they, they kind of skip that area, and it's so important with a horror movie to have that sound, you know, wrap you in and absorb you in and take you on that flight, you know, so we're very happy with it. So we had a great screening yesterday with the film and um, Tales Post screened three times this weekend already. Uh, Telltale Heart, I'm sorry. So so we're really thrilled. I mean, we've been having a great time this weekend. Everyone's been just lovely. Just lovely. Hello. I'm with um, Cleve Hall, who has just gotten done Celebrating his birthday. All that remains of the cake. Wait, you don't? My birthday's 
as well, this one's, yeah, they surprise me with it, but usually I just don't come out of my room. My birthday sword doesn't exist because nobody's seen me that day. So there's only 364 days a year because I don't age. I know what you mean. I freeze my Facebook page when it's my birthday because it's like, it's, but they find a way. I just got tired of looking at it every year seeing a birthday cake with enough candles to light the Vatican. I hope that wasn't customers we just lost. <laughs> what, what deep, dark secret maybe they are not aware of from watching your show or uh, knowing you? Um, I'm pretty much an open book. Uh, there's, uh, uh, there's a few things in my sci-fi contract that I'm not supposed to discuss. <laughs> um, but one of these days, the tell-all will come out, for sure. Um, and, uh, yeah. What kind of materials do you use for the uh, mask? Like silicon rubber, latex? Are there any preferable materials when you're working with certain things like ears or noses? No. Well, in recent years, the silicone has like become really. Um, this platinum silicone has become very um, useful. You have uh, like kind of a translucency that looks more like real skin and everything. There's a bit of weight to them, but those are amazing. So it's like there's still developments in makeup effects, but because of the CG uh, destroying our business, that was my phone telling me I have a notification. Uh, but uh, because CG's like done so much to destroy the makeup effects industry, you know. Um, I'm glad to see that people are still, like, you know, putting the effort into uh, developing new products for it. But, um, I mean, to me, I don't hate CG. I think it's a good uh, enhancement for a practical effect. Just never replace it. One thing I've observed is that there are a lot of costume shops that are shutting down. I mean, there was one there locally, a big one in California and whatnot. But I've also observed that costuming, just not for movies, but just for conventions and things like that has really exploded and people are putting their costumes in their own makeup stuff and whatnot set it's i think a part of that is you have the japanese to thank for the cosplay movement because that has gotten huge and i mean really really elaborate you know and uh like there next week i'll be at uh, probably anime expo in uh, la um just the costumes are very very elaborate i actually look to cosplayers sometimes to see what uh, if i see somebody really impresses me i'll you know uh, keep them, keep their information on file for uh, possible employment. Because uh, yeah, they're going, they go crazy with that stuff, and it's uh, you know it's beautiful. And that's same thing with like nowadays. Um, there's a lot of stuff on the internet, on YouTube and things. There's different outlets for uh, creating things. Which you know, okay, there's not a big field you know left in in Hollywood as far as working in films because CG killed it. In the 80s, there was 50 shops in the valley, and everybody working, everybody got along. You go next door, borrow a couple latex. Then when it work went away, it got kind of very competitive, you know, and uh, only the tough survived. I was a total horror, so I was able to keep going, you know, and just do whatever to make money because I didn't know how to do anything else. But now it's like people are starting, they want to make stuff again. After watching my show and Face Off, they tell me that they're inspired to start creating again. And I'm like, you can't, don't come to L.A. thinking there's any future in this right now unless things take a dramatic turnaround. But with YouTube and with all this the internet you can make your own stuff you can shoot it with your phone practically and get hd and put your stuff out there and be seen and make money at it people are making money on the internet i don't know how but they are <laughs> i'll figure that out one day um they're they're crazy things like kickstarter people are uh yeah, making it that was uh, brian Polito. we're doing a film called uh, uh killer gnome and uh, he's doing the fundraising through kickstarter so i recorded a video for that and um you know I, I, people actually fund their stuff through that i think it's kind of amazing it can run hot and cold. It's a they either um, make crazy amounts of money or you're still struggling. So it's a. Uh, is always been like you know, uh, 
crazy, you know, crazy bunch of people making a crazy bunch of movies, and um, it's always been very creative and very fun. Yeah, it's where my life is, you know, is in the, um, we used to call it low-budget horror, but now it's, uh, you know, independent horror, yeah, um, which, you know, translates into no money and uh, very little time, and you have to make it yourself, not buy it, and, you know, just pull rabbits out of your butt. I'm always surprised I never see a full-suited Godzilla at any of these events. Why is that? I started my career was uh, doing a Godzilla suit for a convention in Houston in 72, no, 77. 76, one of those, 77, yeah, it was a while ago, yeah, but no, one of my, uh, my brother actually, my brother in Japan is Shinichi Wakasa, who does the Japanese, he does the Godzilla suits there, and he'll be hopefully working for me on, uh, with me on the next season of Monster Man, I'm going to be trying to bring him in, uh, right now our big thing is trying to get our second season going, because we were put on opposite the new season of South Park, highest rated show in cable, that sucked. So we didn't get the highest ratings, though they continue to go up. But then I found out later people were DVRing us. Kids are watching us. I'm now the goth Mr. Rogers. And um, so there's huge amounts of fans to the show. I meet them every weekend when I go to a convention. But Sci-Fi hasn't greenlit us yet for our second season. So we are getting a write-in campaign to season two at monstermanfans.com. And if everybody writes to that, this goes directly to Sci-Fi. And a copy of it goes to me. So I know who well, I was always a horror fan, big horror fan. When I was younger, I, I modeled. Um, now that I'm older, I wanted to get into the convention circuit. This is my first one I'm doing. And I was lucky enough to assist Cleve Hall here. So everyone, write in for Monster Man Season 2. We're now with um, two very, uh-oh. He's, he's got a monkey on his back, and he can't quite get it. Oh, my God. I knew this was going to happen eventually. Can we interview the people who are actually in control? No, I meant the cockroaches. <laughs> but to, to begin with, how you doing? I'm doing okay. We're doing fine too. How's the weather down there? Well, anyway, I, I've been holding this 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 cupcake. Yes, see, it's something, and let me like, and we have. The um, pastry chef who made this, Jill, Jill with us. Mm. No. I'm a Mona. What? <laughs> How long do you want a pastry chef? <laughs> Have you been good enough? Three years. No, three years now. I taught myself how to do it. Didn't go to school or anything like that. If you see that, I do that. So it's all natural talent with the cakes. We did see the Godzilla, and that tastes like Frankenberry. <laughs> oh, I don't know if that's good or bad. It's excellent. That's the little, the little child is going. Oh, I you. <laughs> I'm happy you enjoyed it. Yes. What uh, what goes into it? Because um, uh, the unique. Just the joy that I bring people. The smiles, the happiness. It's a unique business. Not everyone can make something 3D or taste like that. It's all homemade. No free mixes. <laughs> and that's about it. Simple. It's easy. I'm with Drew Moore, one of the stars of the short This Mortal Court. And, you know, you know it's 
the thing that struck me at the end, and not that I had experience to know people, that based on a true story. Yes, it was actually a, a story from the UK. The, the writer Paul Natal really just dug it up um, and and found this incredibly gruesome and pretty disturbing story about uh, a young boy who just has that belief that he can become a vampire and uh, the subsequent events are pretty pretty gruesome so it's a lot of fun but uh, uh, was there any reason that they told you that they picked you was it uh, your quirky eyes and it's like oh yeah that's uh, definitely I, I've been I was uh, fresh out of acting school so uh, mold moldable and flexible and uh very impressionable, I suppose. But um, yeah, I could just really get to what where I needed to be for that truth, and um, it was it was uh, an incredible experience. Since then, I actually started. Um, I, I fell in love for, with production because of this film. With Dino Castelli was a producer, Sean King was a director, and um, I fell in love. So I started uh, with an agency, and then I started my own management company just really right after this film. So. The film actually it's, it was a springboard for all these other things for you. That's excellent to hear. It was great. It was great to be a part of that production. So, um, is there anything that's like you during the production? It was like that you may have not known. It was like as an actor fresh out of school. It's like oh, that's interesting. It was. Um, it was. It was completely professional. I've been on uh, plenty of other shoots that were, you know, just very barren in comparison to how prepared everybody was just uh, Mindset Films, the producer of this uh, the production company of the film was just uh, everything an actor could ever want, you know, you got your 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 coat when it was cold and you got your uh, gooey red bloody fingers uh, mittens between takes and whatnot. so it was uh, it was good, chocolate syrup and all I like a company that can professionally deal with this too. Mm-hmm. No, they, they they have that goop under control. Mindset film was for sure. There was a lot of goop at this film festival. But, um, uh, Drew? Yes. Thank you. Um, Hans over. Bye. Get our videos without stopping by our website? Then subscribe to us in the iTunes Store. Just go to vidgle.com forward slash iTunes or search Vidgle in the iTunes Store. That's V I D G L E.